And I can see that Mike Madsen's already posted about being here. Thanks, Mike. Good to know that we got a social media savvy church. So glad to be here with you this morning. See all your smiling faces. It's a beautiful day, and I'm looking forward to enjoying it with you together and also beyond for the rest of the afternoon. During the last several weeks, we began a series called The Five Functions of a Healthy Church. And what we've begun to do is lay uh, the groundwork to have a roadmap that we can take towards seeing God take our church and help us to be a fully functioning, healthy church. We've been all around the world, my wife and I and our kiddos, and we've seen that in, in certain churches there are these functions that occur, and we've been talking about those week by week. In week one, we talked about community. We talked about if we know each other and are known by each other. It's like God, he grows us together, and in doing so, he creates a lever that he can leverage to use us to introduce people to God. So, And then the second week, we talked about prayer. And then that we, we studied a powerful story where we learned that we serve a God who is aware, a God who is active, and a God who is waiting to be invited into our circumstances to do what only he can do. And so we learned that our responsibility before God is to identify our needs, to recognize that we're not able, and then to invite him into our circumstances to do what only he can do. In week three, we talked about study, and we learned that God uses his word to shape his people to build his kingdom, and that we learn that we go through this process with God of learning how to handle his word, learning how to pursue what the word teaches, seeking God out of a pure heart, and then we're ready to teach and to make a difference. And then in week four, this past week, we talked about worship, and we talked about how Isaiah encountered God, and when he encountered God, he was ready to respond. He was ready to respond. When Isaiah encountered God, he realized he was unclean, he was unworthy, and that he needed God to do something for him that he couldn't do for himself, which was to remove his guilt. And when that happened, Isaiah responded by volunteering to go on mission for God, volunteering to do what God would ask him to do. Today we're going to talk about the fifth and final function, that of mission, that of mission. Go ahead and bring up the first photo, please, sound booth crew. So... Um, this was our apartment complex in China, uh, our very first one, and in the middle of that complex was a pond, and in that pond, you can't see them because they're submerged because of the, the spring rains, there's actually stepping stones across the pond, and that is Caleb at a very young age, and so you can already guess what's going to happen in this story. You've got boy, you've got pond and water. Okay, go ahead and bring up the next photograph. So keep that visual in your mind. All right, this was little bitty Susanna, and she was in a snuggly on my chest, and there's Caleb, you know, goofing around. So Caleb was beside the pond one day, and I had Susanna, much like this, in the snuggly, strapped in, and I, you know, I turned around for just a second, and I heard a, I heard a splash, and sure enough, Caleb, you know, I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't know when, had gone into the pond. Now, it wasn't a super deep pond, but there was moss at the bottom of it, and it was deep enough to where he couldn't get his footing, and he kept slipping and going under. So, you know, in, 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 a, in a bit of a panic, you know, and as a father, I just immediately jumped into the water to get after him, but I had Susanna strapped to my chest. So I get into the water, and, and I start to realize exactly why Caleb can't keep his footing. It's because it's really slick, and I start to slip, and, and I'm a little bit concerned about keeping my own footing. But I managed to grab him with one arm, hoist him to the side over the edge, and, it, and then I began to struggle to get out myself. And I actually did fall a little bit, and, and little Susanna bumped her noggin. But I did eventually get out, and Caleb got out, and everything was okay. But when I saw my son in the water, 
struggling to keep his head above water. I had a strong emotional reaction, but I didn't just think or feel. I acted. You know, it was my love for my son that compelled me to act because he was in danger, you know, and and forgetting about what was at risk for myself. Now, we've all been compelled to action when people that we care about are in danger, haven't we? When you see somebody that you love, that you care about, maybe they're in mortal danger, maybe they're in emotional danger, maybe you have a, a, a child who's heading for to suffer emotional consequences, and you're concerned. And you're concerned to the point, not, that, not just that you think about it or you feel, but you, want, you act decisively, and it's love that compels you. Now, we can all understand this kind of love, but the, think about the kind of love that really moves us, is when we witness somebody who, out of love, is compelled to act on behalf of a stranger, somebody they don't know, somebody who's not family. And there's suffering involved, and there's sacrifice involved for somebody that is not family, that's not a loved one, when there's cost. What might move someone to behave in such a way, we wonder? And that, and that, and that is what moves us. And when someone like that acts on our behalf, you know, when somebody does something for you when they don't have to, when, when they don't know you, when there's no good reason you can think that they're helping you, that they're serving you, you know what happens is you begin to wonder, Why? And your heart opens to them just a little bit. You ever been on the side of the road and, some, and, and, and you get in car trouble and then somebody pulls over? Maybe it's dark. Maybe it's kind of risky for them to do that. They don't know you, but they do. I mean, your heart is moved and your heart is open to that person in a way that nothing else can do. Today we're going to study how God has called each of us to care, to care enough to act, And then in acting, it opens the door for us to actually engage in the art of persuading them to consider Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 21. I'm going to read it through once, then I'm going to take it verse by verse, and I'm going to share with you some some key thoughts that the Lord has revealed to me this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness 
of God. So look back with me at verse 11. He says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Now looking back at verse 10 for a moment, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So what Paul is referring to here is he's saying there is coming a day when you and I and every man and woman will be given account before God. Now when you think about that, maybe the way that I think about it, it makes me a little bit nervous. You know, even though I've trusted Christ as my Savior, the thought of standing before a holy God and giving an account makes me a little bit squeamish. And so because I know what it is to fear the Lord like that, and, and Paul knew what it was to fear the Lord like that, he's encouraging people to persuade men. And referring back to last week, remember what Isaiah was like in the presence of God? When, it, when God revealed himself to Isaiah, he was, he, was, he was concerned. He was fearful because he was unworthy, because he was unrighteous, and he needed God to do something for him that he couldn't do for himself. So that kind of fear, do you know that? Do I know that? And this knowledge, this fear, inspires Paul and his companions to seek to persuade men to prepare for such a day. Because there is coming a day when you and I will give an account, when all men will give an account. And what Paul's saying is because he knows that, he wants to persuade men to prepare for that day. Go up, pull up the next picture. This is Pastor Dan Farrell. He is still preaching the word. I attended an independent Baptist school my junior year of high school. And um, that was a time when I actually began to realize I, don't, I didn't think I was a Christian. I had gone, gone to church my whole life. And uh, Dan was uh, what you would definitely describe as a fire breather. I mean, every chapel service, you knew what he was going to talk about. Are you saved? And he would use illustrations, he would use stories, and we would literally come out of chapel every time dragging, you know. He had really put the screws to us about, are you saved? Do you know that you know that you know? Now, not being from that persuasion, it was new to me. You know, I wasn't from that background. And so I, I think at that time, I didn't have quite enough fear of God. And, but, but Dan Farrell literally put the fear of God in me. I remember one time after a funeral service, he just invited me. He always called me Mr. Bondi to take a ride with him in his truck. And, he, and all the way back to the church, he just would not let me off the mat. For months, this went on. A couple times, he pulled me into his office and had a conversation with me. But eventually, you know, he taught me that there was something that I needed to prepare for. There was a day coming that I did not want to be unprepared for. And eventually, I did give my life and my heart to Christ that year in that school. And I'll never forget, I was sitting there in the chapel service, and he just said simply, he said, Mr. Bondi, I heard that you got saved. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, that's good. And so he didn't get overly excited because that was what he was there to do. And so I, I, I owe a lot to that man for taking, uh, having the courage to involve himself in my life and to really pressure me and to let me know there was a day I needed to prepare for. So that's what Paul's talking about. Since he knows what it is to fear God, he seeks to persuade men. Now looking at verses 11 through 13, Paul has to go into a bit of a defense. He says, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you pride, an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. 
So Paul and his companions are under fire. There are some people who are implying that they have ulterior motives. Now in that time, now I know this doesn't happen now, but there are people who would teach the word of God and would share the word of God, but their goal wasn't to help other people, it was to profit. Now I know that doesn't happen now. But apparently at that time, there were people who were saying, they were angry, they were jealous of Paul and, and the success the Lord had given him. And they're saying, hey, I think this Paul's up to something. I think he's after your money, maybe he's after your, maybe he's after your women. I mean, I don't know what it's up, but this guy's up to something. And so Paul's defending himself. He's saying, no, that, that is not who we are. Verse 13, if we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And so the key thought that comes out of this ver- section of verses this morning, 11 through 13, is Paul's saying everything we do, everything we do, it's for God and it's for you. Everything we do is for God and it's for you. And because he knows that about himself, he's saying my conscience is clear. So he's he's giving a defense. He's not looking out for number one here. Now, as a parent, we often make this claim right, to our kids, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to do what God wants, and I'm trying to help you, and, and when, when we're disciplining, when we're trying to set our kids on the right path, they don't believe us, do they? Did you believe your parents? And so we struggle with that, and we say, no, no, you're, you're not looking out for me, you're looking out for you, mom and dad, you're, you're just trying to keep me in line, you're trying to, to minimize your headaches, but as an adult now, I realize that in, in, in almost every situation, my parents were looking out for me. But I also wanted to note, you know, I don't know you here today, but I'm sorry if that wasn't true for you. Maybe you had mom and dad or or relatives that just, they weren't really looking out for you. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. And I hope that Christ can give you an opportunity to see that our Heavenly Father is better than that. But so what Paul is saying is everything we do is for God and for you. Verses 14 and 15, key verse here this morning, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Christ's love compels us. Now, when you see someone that you care about in danger, what moves you to act? What moves you to act? It's your love. Like it drove me to jump in and rescue my son. It's your love that compels you to act. In many developing countries, we see sad examples. We've seen it firsthand. Sad examples of people who do not feel compelled to act when somebody's in danger, literally moral danger. You'll see sad examples, and, and I wouldn't encourage it, but you could Google it, you could YouTube it, and you'll see somebody in danger. Maybe they're in the street, maybe they're, they're struggling, and sadly, what you'll see oftentimes is people standing around with cameras. Something bad has happened, there's been a car accident, there's somebody lying in the street in need, nobody lifts a finger, but they pick up their camera. And that's why you're able to watch that kind of video online. And it's sad, but the attitude is, you're on your own. You're on your own. I'm looking out for me. I'm looking out for mine. And and there's reasons for this. The legal systems in a lot of places are in shambles. And if you help and you become a good Samaritan, you might be dealing with somebody who's trying to trick you, and they're going to prosecute you, and they're going to take your money. But what we see here... And this passage is a love that compels us to act. You know, our typical attitude is exactly what I've described, isn't it? Hey, 
I'm looking out for myself. You're on your own. You're on your own. But Christ's love, it challenges this attitude. And ultimately, it changes it. Christ's love compels us to act. In fact, I submit to you this morning that if we want to make a difference, you know, as a church or as an individual, it's love displayed. Care displayed opens the door to persuade. Care displayed opens the door to persuade. Now, what do I mean by this? It means that feeling it isn't enough. Thinking it isn't enough. But when you display your care through action, it's like it opens a little door in somebody's heart. And they're open to you, even if just for a little bit, they're open to being persuaded for you to to encourage them to consider Christ, to consider a change. It's care displayed that opens the door to persuade. Because you know what the old saying is true? People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Verse 16. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying that we learn to view others from a different perspective. What if by faith and discipline... You know, we learn to view others from God's perspective. So what do I mean by this? There are people we come into contact with every day. I mean, we're talking about people in the store, people in the shopping line, people in traffic. And what are we tempted to think? I mean, that person's a, and I'll let you fill in the blank. We don't say, that person's a, a valuable child of God, and I really need to be kind to them. That person's bought by the blood of Christ, and man, I need to watch my step. But if we see people from God's point of view, and we see that every person is a valuable creation made by God, designed for God, to be in a relationship with God, and we see them through God's eyes, then we're able to make it a habit. It has to become a habit that I say, I see you from his point of view. Make it a habit. I see you from his point of view. And if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to trust that what God says is true, it's going to change the way you think about people. It's going to change the way you feel about people. And ultimately, it's going to change the way that you act toward people. Now, I understand that this is difficult to apply in traffic. Right? (laughs) It's difficult to apply in the grocery store. You know, it's difficult to apply at Six Flags with those line jumpers, huh? It's also difficult to apply with terrorists, people who hate you, people who want to kill you, people who want to take from you. But Jesus doesn't give us an exception. But if we can learn to say, I see you from his point of view, then it will change everything for us. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You become something, when we trust Christ and his blood applies to us, we become something fundamentally different. We change, our identity changes. We become a forgiven child of God. And this isn't because of us. This was something that we couldn't do for ourselves. But we become a new creation. We become a child of God. The old has gone and the new has come. Verses 18 and 19, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So what God has done is he has reconciled us and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What does reconcile mean? You know, when you think about if you got in a fight with somebody or, or when you're dating, you break up. We did that once. And then she took me back. And I'm real glad. But reconciling just means to restore the relationship. Reconciling means to restore the relationship. So we had a broken relationship with God because of our sin. It wasn't his fault. It was our fault. And what God has done through Christ is he has reconciled or provided the opportunity for us to have a reconciled or restored relationship with him. And then he has given us the ministry or the opportunity of reconciling others to himself. And then verse 20, here's our opportunity. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I mean, can you imagine what a responsibility that we have? What an opportunity. God is making his appeal. God is making his plea. God is, be is begging people through you and through me. He's making his appeal through us. And so this is really how it breaks down practically. At first, if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're seeing people from God's point of view, if we have a, a desire to persuade, then people are attracted to us, right? You know, because care displayed opens the door to persuade. We display care. We, we take, it's not big steps. You know, I'm not talking that you go sell your car, you know, and, and, or give something huge away that's going to cripple you financially. Maybe God's calling you to that, but I'm, I'm just talking about being acts of kindness, speaking to people. And that's a Southern tradition, right? Speak to folks when you walk into a restaurant, when you walk into a store. Don't be so focused on your own stuff or so focused on your phone that you overlook the people that Christ died for, okay? So if we take those steps, then we can be Christ's ambassadors. People became to be attracted to us. We build rapport with them, and we display the kinds of attitudes and behaviors we've been talking about this morning and they're going to they're gonna begin to wonder about us. Who is this person? What, what is it that makes them tick? Why are they treating me this way? Why are they even speaking to me? I'm so used to being overlooked by everybody. But this person, they look me in the eye. And, and at first, I, was, I, th I felt a little bit awkward about it. But I began to realize that, that they're sincere. They're sincere. So they're drawn to us, and then that gives us the opportunity to refer them to who we represent, refer them to who we represent. And, and isn't that the job of an ambassador? Now, if, I'm a, if I am an ambassador of the United States, my job is not to make decisions. My job is not to exercise my authority. What's my job as an ambassador? All I'm supposed to do is represent well. So if I go out you know, with, with the locals in another country, I better behave, Right? Otherwise, I'm going to cause literally an international incident. But what's the ambassador's job? Just to represent well. You know, you don't make decisions. If somebody asks you a question or needs something from you, you, you say, excuse me, let me refer you to my boss. Let me refer you to my boss. That's what an ambassador does. And that's the opportunity and the responsibility that Christ has given us, just to represent. And then when people get to know us and we build a rapport with them, then we just refer. We just make a referral. To our boss, to our Savior. And you know what? It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be awkward. It can be just as simple as you and I having coffee together. You know, I've built rapport, I've built a relationship, and then I introduce you to 
and my boss. And then verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in him we are made right. So this morning I've got a couple of questions for you as we move toward application. Number one, are you a new creation? Are you a new creation? Has, has your identity been changed by God through Christ? Now imagine with me for just a moment um, that you, you open your eyes and you're in a courtroom and you recognize that there's a judge in his robes, that there's a prosecutor who's just ready to present his case and win the day. There's a defense attorney who's seated at the defense table and then you begin to hear the prosecutor present the case. And the facts, the evidence are irrefutable. There's, there's no way that this client's going to get off this time. And then you hear the prosecutor identify the defendant. And it's you. And you realize that the evidence is damning and there's no way out. And that the punishment is coming. And that the verdict is about to be rendered on your case. But then the defense attorney stands up, and he surprises you, and he shocks the whole courtroom. He offers not only to speak on your behalf, but he offers to take your punishment. He offers to take your penalty. And then you realize it's Jesus. And that's a picture of what he's done for you and what he's done for me. He is willing to take our penalty, our punishment, and I've heard a rumor, he's looking for new clients. He's looking for new clients. Now, what if we get to make that kind of referral? But back to you, are, have you been reconciled to God? Are you a new creation? In fact, the way that I think Jesus would present this to you today is it's like, you know, there, there's, a, there's a pathway and our sin blocked that pathway. It became impassable. There's no way through. There was no way for us to have a restored relationship to God. And what Jesus would say to you and to me is he said, I've removed all the barriers. I did it myself. I cleared the path through the cross. There is nothing preventing you. And what he would say to you and me today and to anybody that we could refer to him, he'd say that the only thing standing between you and God today, the only thing, Standing between you and God today is you. Because I've cleared the way. I've made it accessible by myself, through myself. So are you reconciled to God today? Because Jesus has removed all the obstacles. He's taken your punishment. And today can be the day of salvation for you. Second question for those of us who are believers this morning. Are you an ambassador how, how are you when it comes to representing Christ? Are you an ambassador? First question is, do you know what it is to fear the Lord? Do you know what it is to fear the Lord? Like I, I, like I learned to fear the Lord. Now, if you're a Christian, this isn't about condemnation, right? I mean, we have, we're not going to be punished. But I'll tell you one thing I am concerned about as a Christian. I'm concerned about God's discipline, right? When I get out of line when I don't act right, when I don't treat people right, I'm a little bit nervous about God's discipline. So if I know what it is to fear the Lord in that way, can you imagine what it's like for those outside of Christ? They don't even know. There's a day coming when they're going to have to give an account 
And they also don't know that they've got a defense attorney who's willing to take the punishment. They've got a savior who's cleared the path and has opened the door for them to be saved. And all we need to do is build a relationship with him and make a referral. Do you know what it is to fear the Lord? Secondly, do you try to persuade men? Do you try to persuade men, right? Persuasion's an art, and it takes time when you're trying to persuade somebody. Again, we're not just trying to make a point, because you know what so often happens when it comes to sharing our faith, if we're honest, is somebody's just trying to clear themselves of responsibility, and so it becomes impersonal. It becomes quick, fast, hard, harsh, and you say, here are the facts, and you need to make a decision. And, and what our goal in is that is, I'm clear of my responsibility now. I have, I have, here's what the Bible says, here's where you stand, here's the decision you have to make, the ball's in your court now, and I'll be on my way. But that's not what we're after. We're after persuasion, persuasion. Because the goal is not just to make a point, but to make a difference. And you know what's key about this is persuasion is not for my benefit. Persuasion is for your benefit. Like if, if we really love somebody and we see them in danger and we see them heading toward hardship and heartache, I mean, how creative would you be? Would you be patient? Would you be creative? Would you take your time? Would you, would you do it a second time? Would you try to ease in, come in whatever way is going to be the most effective? Because there's a lot at stake. And through Christ's eyes, there's a lot at stake. There are people at stake. So we're about persuading men, persuading men for their benefit. I rented a car recently. Many of you have probably had this kind of experience. And as I got to the payment, I expected to pay a certain amount, and then the gentleman started talking to me about insurance. And he's like, you better, you better this, you better that. He had it all well prepared. He delivered it with power and conviction. And I walked out paying a whole double what I had intended. And when I went back and spoke to some folks about it, I felt embarrassed. I overpaid. And there's some things he added in there that was in the basic package that wasn't quite so basic. And I felt frustrated. I felt like I'd been sold to. And it wasn't a very pleasant feeling. So let's not be like that. Persuasion is for your benefit. I'm really seeking what's best for you. I care about you. This isn't about me. And because it's not about me, I'm going to be patient. Because it's not about me, I'm going to take my time. Because it's not about me, I'm going to spend my time to care about you. Do you try to persuade men? Do you serve God and others? Is it about for you? Is it about God? everything you do is about God and about others? And here's a promise for you. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what Jesus is promising, these are the words of Jesus, is if we are serving, if I'm serving God and I'm serving you, then God's going to take care of me too. If I'm serving God, if it's all about him, and I'm serving you, and, I, and I'm, it's costing me, he's going to take care of me too. So there's a promise for you this morning. Do you serve God and others? Fourth, do you, does Christ's love compel you to act? Does Christ's love compel you to act? Because as we've already said, it's love and care displayed that opens the door to persuade. So it's not enough to think. It's not enough to feel. 
How might God be asking you to act this week? If he's putting somebody in your mind right now that he wants you to show care for, that he wants you to take a step toward, with the goal of persuasion, with the goal of making a referral, not to make a point, who is he putting on your heart today? Does Christ's love compel you to act in such a way that your care displayed will open the door to persuade? And then lastly, do you see people from God's point of view? I mean, is it, is it become a habit for you to say in your heart when you encounter anybody, when you're eyeball to eyeball with any human being to say, I see you, I see you. Because isn't that what so many people struggle with? Day after day they go, day after day they get up, they go to work, they go to the store, they live their lives and they feel like nobody sees them. Everybody just overlooks them. They feel alone, they feel desperate. And desperate people do desperate things. But what if you could be the person, you know, you're going through your day and you've been trained by God to see people the way that he does. And you can just say to somebody, even if it's just by opening the door, say, I see you. I see you. And it's like Christ through you is drawing men to himself. So do you see people from God's point of view? This fifth function is where it all comes together, right? We're growing together in community. We're getting to know each other. It's great. Probably there's food involved. Definitely there's food involved. You know, we're praying together. We're asking God. We're inviting him into our circumstances to do the things that only he can do. And we're seeing him work. You know, we're studying the word of God together. He is using his word to shape us to build his kingdom. And we're, we're desiring to study the word, but not alone necessarily. We're studying it together and we're growing together. And then, you know, we're responding to God in worship. He's moved us. We're responsive. We're ready. And if we, and, and if, if we do those things, then we're going to be ready to join him on mission. And then compelled by the love of Christ, we're going to seek to persuade people, to persuade people that there is a Savior, Jesus Consider Jesus. He's ready and willing to remove your guilt and to reconcile you to God. We wanted to close with a song this morning, actually a short video. And and this song reminds us of the famous verse that Jesus spoke when he said, You are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so what this song, the message that you'll see in it this morning is that we have a light that God has given us and he wants us to shine bright and he wants us to make a difference and he wants us to persuade men compelled by the love of Christ to consider Jesus who's ready and willing to remove their guilt and reconcile them to God. Pray with me and then I want you to consider what God would have you do in response to this message today, this week, this season as we enjoy this song together. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for these special folks who've who've, uh, joined us this morning, and we've been worshiping you, Lord. We've been considering what you have to say to us, and we're just crying out, God, that you would make a difference in our lives, and you would make a difference through our lives, God, that as we engage in these healthy functionings as a church, God, that you would prepare us, that you would shape us to be on mission with you and to reach out to so many people who just feel like nobody sees them, nobody cares. Everybody's just out to take from them. Nobody wants to give.
And so I prayed, Lord Jesus, that you would introduce people, reintroduce people to you and show them that you are a God that's not here to take something from them, to take their time, to take their money, to take their sense of dignity, but you're a God that wants to give to them, who wants to change things for them, who wants to lead them to a better life, to greener pastures. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name I pray.